Welcome to Faith and Freedom Fighters. I'm Robert Muse, co-founder and senior counsel of the American Freedom Law Center. And as usual, I'm joined by my fellow freedom fighter, co-founder, senior counsel, and world-class triathlete, David Urashami. You know, we missed doing a podcast last week, July 22nd, due to scheduling conflicts. You know, as we noted several times uh, during these podcasts, which we try to do every week, there will be times when we miss due to litigation and other scheduling reasons. Well, last Thursday, David and I were both away from the office for personal reasons. Uh, for me, my 14-year-old son, who's involved in uh, travel baseball, had a tournament out of town. So I was away on Thursday, and David was in Ohio, getting ready for yet another half triathlon, which he won yet again. Uh, no world record yet. I know that's his goal, but he's, uh, he's awful close. So, David, welcome. I, I know it was a, tri a half triathlon. Remind our listeners how long this race is and uh, how it compares to a full triathlon, which, by the way, you also run full triathlons. Right. So, um, first of all, thank you. It's good to be back with you on uh, our podcast. Um, the, the actual terminology would be a half Ironman triathlon. It's a full triathlon. It just, they have uh, Ironman triathlons. The fulls are essentially 140.6 miles, which is 2.4 miles of swimming, 112 miles of biking, and a full marathon, 26.2 miles of running, and one right after the other, of course. And my time, my best time on a full so far has been 10 hours and 40 minutes. So on the half triathlons, we call these Ironman 70.3s, which represents half of the distance. So it's 70.3 miles covered as 1.2 miles of swimming, which is either in a lake, a river, or the ocean, 56 miles of biking, and a half marathon, 13.1 miles of running. So the, this week was my third half Ironman uh, of the year of this race and season, which was our first race and season since 2019, since 2020 was shut down due to government bureaucrats and policymakers utilizing COVID-19 as the basis. I used to say, Rob, the year was shut down because of COVID-19, but that's not accurate, is it? We're yeah. going to talk yeah, about no, that. Right. Let's, let's be accurate right. about this. It's the government that shut it down, not COVID. Policymakers and politicians were making decisions based upon what they um, assessed were the benefits and risks, not science. But having said that, so this was my third. The first one I had um, about four months ago was in uh, Galveston, Texas. And I did it just a hair over five hours and came in first and set a course record. And I had gotten close enough there to the world record for my age group, uh, which is 65 to 69, uh, which is four hours and 48 minutes that I thought if I really worked hard, I could get there. The next race I did was in Des Moines, Iowa. We had a shortened bike course because of thunderstorms. I won the race, but um, it doesn't count because it was a sh the, the biking course was cut in half. So this race was my um, chance to set a world record. It's a fast course. It's a lake swim, no wetsuit. So you're a little slower than you would be if you swam with the wetsuit, but the water is warm enough so they don't allow wetsuits. And the bike was a full 56 miles, but it was relatively flat, kind of undulating uh, with not too bad of wind conditions. And the run 
um, was, I wouldn't call it hilly, but it was definitely not flat. But I had done this race in 2019 and set my own personal best time of five hours and seven minutes. And um, so, and I was racing as a 60 to 64 year old. So this race, I thought I had a real chance if I could do the swim and 36, 37 minutes, and then have a screaming bike of two hours and 30 minutes or less, given my typical run pace of about seven minutes and 35 seconds per mile, I should be able to break the record. But, and I, I had a decent swim, 37 minutes. I had a great bike, two hours and 29 minutes, even though I had dropped a chain and switching gears and had to stop and put it back on, I lost about two and a half minutes. But apparently I did not pack my racing running legs with me. <laughs> so my run was slow for me and uh, finished in five hours and eight minutes, but beat the second place guy by a little over six minutes. So it was a win and it was a course record. I, I set the course record for my age group, just not the world record. So there you have it. <laughs> you slacker. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's pick it up next time. All right. Well, with uh, but with that by way of a background, which is not relevant to our conversation today, but interesting nonetheless. Let's jump into the issues that we have lined up. And I know you saw that uh, heated exchange between Senator Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci, the God of Medicine, uh, here in the in the United States. And I want to discuss that for a little bit. You know, Rand Paul made the point. Like, well, gave him the opportunity. Do you want to retract that the statement you made previously under oath? to Congress that the United States was not funding gain-of-function research, right? And we, we know, I, I think, pretty well that COVID-19, the way that it's operating, um, that it's, it's, it has these gain-of-function um, attributes to it, right? And if you were going to, if you were going to create a deadly virus that was very contagious, um, and that, you know, spread, you know, very rapidly and, and uh, had devastating effects. If you want to do that as for a bioweapon, COVID-19 is, is your, uh, you know, there, there's, your, um, there's your, your primary weapon, as it were. But it certainly has all the, the features of gain of function. So he, pro he gave Fauci the opportunity. Look, do you want to recant that statement you made under oath? It's a crime to lie to Congress under oath. And, uh, and Fauci refused to, even though uh, that Rand Paul had in his possession a research paper that was funded by the National Institutes of Health, which is Fauci is apparently the, uh, he's the one that can control the purse string. So that gives him incredible power in all of this uh, in terms of what funding research, what research is funded and what is not by the government. Well, this paper made it very explicit, you know, thanking the, the National Institutes of Health for funding the research that led to this paper. And oh, by the way, all the research was gain of function research, which the government funded through the NIH, which Anthony Fauci funded through NIH. And yet even when presented with that, he continued to say, no, we, you're, you're, he, you know, he pointed to Rand Paul and said, you're the liar. You don't know what you're talking about. And then he totally deflected. He totally deflected by arguing that, well, that paper, the research of that paper, the virus that they were working on for purpose of that paper was molecularly different than COVID-19. But that wasn't Rand Paul's point. Rand Paul's point and the specific direct question to Fauci was, was the issue of gain of function research. 
not gain-of-function research on this virus versus gain-of-function research on another virus. It was gain-of-function research. And that paper made clear, it's, it's exhibit A, irrefutable evidence, the government was doing it. And Fauci, even when confronted that, said, no, we're not funding it, and then totally deflected and said this research was not, the, the paper was not about this virus. As we all know, nothing will happen to Fauci. I know I, I saw other subsequent stories that Rand Paul made a referral to the attorney general's office to prosecute him. But we have a two-tier justice system. Nothing will ever happen to Anthony Fauci. Not anything like, you know, what happened to Mike Flynn, or if you happen to be a uh, conservative in the government, you know, they'll throw the book at you. You know, they'll, they'll come at you with, you know, like this uh, January 6th, you know, uh, uh, protest, which we're going to talk about later in the podcast, right? They had an FBI dragnet to get everybody involved. You don't see anything happening with the Black Lives Matter or Antifa. But it's, you know, when you think about this, Anthony Fauci, the National Institutes of Health, we're funding gain-of-function research, which, again, that gain-of-function research, and I think the, the evidence is, is mounting uh, to the point that it's more likely than not, might even be a higher level of proof that uh, the Wuhan lab, that this virus leaked from the Wuhan lab, and we know gain-of-function research was being done at the Wuhan lab. I mean, this is, this is dangerous stuff that they're playing with, that these, uh, you know, these scientists um, but you think, David, you think anything's going to happen to Anthony Fauci, the self-proclaimed god of, uh, of science? Well, other than um, nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize and likely to get it, not unlike the recent Pulitzer Prizes that were handed out to, to all the, the leftist news organizations. By the way, the um, Rachel Maddow news show on MSNBC was a was um, awarded a Pulitzer Prize as a news organization. Oh, for goodness sakes. I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah, that, that, it, if, it, if anybody just, puts any credibility in Pulitzer Prize or the uh, Peace Prize, especially after Obama got it, forget about it. Right. I mean, that, that's another one of those institutions that's totally shot and totally right. shot. Right. Even, even the, the Nobel Peace Prize Committee as a whole, beyond the Peace uh, Prize, you know, even even with regard to science and so forth, it's politicized, right? Because they're looking at um, the kind of science that they want to see, whether it's global warming and that stuff. But let's come back to Fauci. Um, obviously, nothing is going to happen to Fauci. Um, I don't even think it would happen, anything would happen to him under a, a Trump administration. As we saw, um, nothing happened to any of the Obama officials um, who coordinated during the Trump and various investigations by the DOJ, Trump, Barr, DOJ. Nothing happened to anyone involved in those, notwithstanding um, uh, AUSA Durham's, Assistant U.S. Attorney Durham's ongoing investigation, still going on. We have no idea what's happening. So that's number one. The deflection that Fauci utilized was, I'll blame a little bit on on. Senator Rand, but recognizing that he's not a lawyer, and so his cross-examination uh, and questioning skills are probably not sharp. Um, they're certainly good enough for a congressman, and because they only have a very limited time period to ask a question and get an answer. So I, I'm not faulting him personally. I'm just saying that one of the things he said as he was asking this question and trying to get an answer on the fact that Fauci made the statement that his that the U.S. government through his agency and others have never um, 
provided funding for gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. Period. Stop. Full stop. Uh, that's a lie. And the reason we know it's a lie in the research paper that Rand was pointing to is that um, the research that has been published by the recipient of those funds describes the research that was done and per the definition put out by the NIH and you know um, Fauci's organization and so forth, that's the definition, one of the definitions of gain of function. And so it's, there's very little doubt, even though Fauci said, I have a long line of experts that'll say it's not gain of function. And presumably what they're doing is they're somehow parsing definitions and parsing what's described in the research as not gain of function. And that's just what any person does who commits perjury, who lies under oath, lies before Congress. I don't think the testimony was under oath, but it was before Congress. So that's a, a federal crime. Um, they start maneuvering. And like President Clinton said, famously, um, you know, I did not have sex with that girl because in his mind, he was defining sex. That, in a way that woman. That woman, right? Yeah, and it depends on what the definition of "is" is. Yeah. Was his, uh, so, his testimony, and but ultimately was disbarred. President Clinton was disbarred. Get paid millions of dollars to speak to people, but he's a disbarred, unethical liar. Um, now, what Rand had said was at some point is um, something to the effect that you're not um, being honest about the fact that you funded gain-of-function research and are responsible um, you know, for essentially the pandemic was what he was implying. And then that's when Fauci was able to use that, what we call, he was, Paul Rand was over skis because Paul Rand never originally and didn't Rand intend, Paul. Rand Paul, <laughs> I'm sorry, did not intend to say um, and ask or allege that the gain-of-function research, as Rob pointed out, was on the COVID-19. That wasn't the issue. And thus, the gain-of-function research may or may not have led to the pandemic. But I have something to say on that. But Fauci knew that, and he's sophisticated enough. Remember, this guy is smart, smart as a whip, has been around for a long time in government, and has worked his way up to the top. You don't do that without being sharp, and political. So um, he utilized that and he was trained. The lawyers that have surrounded him and the PR specialists when he goes before Congress have said, the moment you have that opportunity, deflect. And that's exactly what he did and he did it very well. And of course he knows that the media is either not gonna cover this issue at all or going to point the finger at Rand as being an extremist and as you know, the media is constantly bowing down and prostrating, prostrating themselves before Fauci. Um, so he's not worried about a media fallout. And of course, everybody can discount Fox News. That's all you have. So, but here's the, the real point. We know that China is a signatory to the major convention treaties that control the development of biological warfare. Um, the problem is, is that it's the Chinese government. And the Chinese government, we know, spends 
billions, if not trillions of dollars on their military apparatus. And that includes nuclear weapons and most assuredly biological weapons. China is one of the leading places for research on deadly viruses. Wuhan lab is one of the most important laboratories in China that studies these things. The data we know shows that we were even funding gain of function research. And even if we weren't, does anyone believe for a minute that China's not spending billions of dollars on gain of function research to take viruses, which apparently they have galore in their bat caves and in their wet markets, which they have reopened up, exposing people again to viruses that can travel around the world. But does anyone really believe that they're not utilizing gain of function research to take viruses and make them one, more infectious? Two, to make them more mutable. I mean, I don't care if a million scientists tell me, well, that's not possible. You can make something more infectious, you can make it more, more uh, a more deadly disease, but you can't make it mutate more. Well, I don't know that that's the case one way or the other. I haven't studied the issue, but what I know is they can't know what the Chinese government knows. And if they believe, and that's, of course, what Fauci relies upon. Fauci says the Wuhan lab was not doing work on this particular COVID virus. How does he know that? Because the Chinese Communist Party told him? Yeah, and, I mean, and by the way, this same Chinese Communist Party uh, blocked the World Health Organization from being able to interview the, the people who are critical to, uh, to uh, who would know the answers to those types of questions. They, you know, that's one of the points we've made time and time again. There was an absolute cover-up by the Chinese government that the World Health Organization went along with, and nobody has yet to be able to get to the evidence to, to prove definitively exactly what all the circumstantial evidence is pointing towards. And the cover-up was so great that even the World Health Organization and the Biden administration had to admit that it was not being, quote unquote, transparent enough. And that's what's led to the ongoing investigation, quote unquote. I don't know what kind of investigation. My guess is not much of one. But the Chinese government isn't going to roll over and become transparent. We're not going to get anything from the Chinese government. What I also find interesting in this whole discussion, and remember, we are in a non-kinetic civil war with ourselves. Forget China. China is at war with us. But within this country, we have a non-kinetic civil war going on. The progressives and even the, the soft progressives, the, the leftists, they want to destroy the country as it was founded and as it should be and turn it into something very different. The reality is, is that if you look back during any Republican administration or e even Democratic administration, and you look at how the progressives looked at information and intelligence assessments from our intelligence agencies, right? Where it came to wars and biological weapons by Saddam Hussein, the progressives 
rejected anything said by the intelligence agencies as part of the industrial military complex. Can't be trusted. They're violating our civil liberties. They're warmongers, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, when the left is in control or when the deep state intelligence agencies was undermining, were undermining the Trump administration day in and day out by weeks and by anonymous sources, all of a sudden the progressives, the intelligence agencies were spot on. Honest as the day is long and accurate as science. And that's just absurd. They, they filled all those, all those uh, bureaucratic agencies with their, with their uh, comrades, as it were. I mean, that's, you know, mind, they, what is, it's right. the deep state. There is a deep state. I mean, it, there's, right. just, there's just no like question the, about it. Yeah. And it's just like the debate over science. All science does, as we've said on this podcast time and time again, is measure things. The scientific consensus is nothing more than some kind of informal finger in the wind, how many scientists agree with me? How many scientists disagree? You know, if it feels like I have a consensus, then that becomes the new science. But that's not science, properly speaking. That's, that, that's just kind of, and beyond that, when they take that consensus and they get together and decide what should be the societal response to that, whether it's global warming or the COVID pandemic, that's not science at all. That's public policy. And that's just a bunch of people who claim expertise offering their opinions. Yep. And it, it's no different than experts in litigation in our field that quite naturally in every litigation, no matter how many experts you have on one side, the other side can find just as many experts sincerely disagreeing and coming up with exactly the opposite. Intelligence assessments are the same thing. Their assessments, their opinions. And what is an intelligence assessment? It's a consensus. You know, it's not exactly an exact vote. They stick their finger in the air and someone in the administration says, well, we believe we have a consensus among our intelligence agencies. But we know they've been wrong. They were wrong about the fall of the Soviet empire. Intelligence agencies were telling us the Soviet Union was a powerhouse, a hegemony. And Reagan brought them down to their knees. We were told there were all sorts of biological weapons in Iraq. Couldn't find them. Were they moved to Iran or somewhere else? Who knows? But they were clearly wrong about the assessment. So intelligence agencies, oh, intelligence agencies apparently told us that um, Muslim countries like Iraq and Afghanistan, if given the opportunity, will choose freedom and free markets. And we just have to get rid of the despots. Well, we got rid of the despots and guess what? Muslim countries don't choose freedom and free markets. They choose Sharia Islamic law. Intelligence agencies get things wrong all the time. If you wanna ask an intelligence officer, what have you heard? In other words, have you listened in on a phone call? That's factual. Have you, um, and, some kind of confidential informant inside that was told something, that's factual. But 99% of intelligence work is based upon assessing certain facts by drawing conclusions and using your experience. But just like all of us, 
use our judgments every day and get some things a lot wrong. In fact, get a lot of things a lot wrong. So does intelligence, so do intelligence assessments, officers, and so do public policy experts like Fauci. My gripe, and I'll end here, Rob, with all of this COVID-19 stuff is we've never been treated like adults. And honestly, what should have been said is here are the scientific facts about this disease that we know about today. These are the measurements. This is how transmissible it is. This is how deadly it is from what we know today. And, and it's going to change because it's just being percolating now. From there, here's our public policy assessments about wearing masks or not wearing masks or about shutting down businesses or not. It's not based on science, people. It's based upon our assessment of elements of science, but mostly what we balance out to be the risk and the benefits. And what would have been far more honest and adult about it would be, here are the risks and benefits of going out without a mask from our perspective. It's an assessment, it's not science. We can tell you what COVID-19 transmissibility is. We can tell you what we know about the effectiveness of masks or the dangerous aspects of mask wearing, but that's all we can really do. And we can tell you, we urge you to wear masks, but how the government can then go from that and insist that we wear masks or insist that we close down a restaurant or synagogue or church and not go inside is that's where they abuse the few facts that they have and go off the rails with some kind of public policy assessment of risk and benefits. They should allow each individual to do that. Well, you know, one of the things you pointed out with the intelligence community, we see it in the science community as well, you have this confirmation bias. You have a certain result or outcome that you think you, that you're either your funder wants you to reach or you have preconceived uh, notions of it and it's amazing how your your research and your assessments direct that uh, direct that way. And you know, and the thing that's really amazing is just realizing how much power Fauci has for funding the research. And when you think about the funding that has not been provided for research about COVID, such as you know the effects of masks on children, and you know some of these adverse the adverse consequences of these policy decisions they're making. Nobody cares about looking at those. They're using science, right? It's, it's kind of like how Fauci doing deflecting. They're deflecting their policies. They're using science to create fear because that's what tyrants have to do. They have to put you in fear. They put you in fear first, and then they use that as a, uh, you know, as a club for their tyrannical restrictions. I mean, the whole mask thing is, is still remarkable to me. If these things are so darn effective and you're making everybody wear them, then open up everything. But you're not opening up everything? Why? Because they're not that effective. I mean, it's just it, it, this, and now we're, you know, we're going to, here we come around. It's going to be round two of all this, uh, uh, you know, COVID uh, Delta variant. Uh, that's going to be the, the next round. This is, this is just, uh, it was a perfect setup for how tyrants, uh, how tyrants and, operate. And let's face it. I'm yeah. sorry. Let's, let's face it. Let's assume that we're able in the, in, in the world to vaccinate darn near everybody, but clearly we're not going to vaccinate everybody, even in China which has the tyrannical government, they're not able to vaccinate everybody. They have many rural areas that have their own little wet markets. So 
you have this obviously very transmissible disease that mutates relatively easily um, and in a way that can counter the vaccines um, or at least overcome them. And we're getting all kinds of mixed messages. Sometimes we're hearing that hospitalizations say uh, with the new Delta include 50% vaccinated people, 50% not. Then we're told it's all 97% unvaccinated people. I don't know what the reality is yet, but even if everyone gets vaccinated, this disease could continue to mutate every year, just like, just like the regular influenza. And more than that, we don't know how long, how effective, and no one has told us. You would imagine that Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson and Fauci could get up there and say, this vaccine is going to be effective for five years. They have no idea. They're not even telling us for one year. They're talking about booster shot. Then we're going to have to have, if this virus is like other types of viruses because of mutations. And remember the influenza bug has an, almost an infinite number of mutations, if not an infinite number, because you can't predict how something is going to mutate. And so every year I get an influenza shot. And why? Because I know long-term it's safe because it's using my own natural body immunity properties. Whereas this new DNA, RNA messaging is very different. We don't know the medium and long-term effects, but we're told now that if we get the vaccine, we're gonna be safe, get a vaccine, even though they're telling us, ah, but you still have to wear a mask, we're still gonna shut you down. The reality is, is what happens next year when there's a new mutation? Yeah, I'd say follow the money for the vaccines. Right. They are may and you know all these drug companies apparently they're immunized too from any any liability the way they're they immunized from liability because they don't have we don't even yet have a single vaccine that is FDA approved no and we you have know the thing that is use authorization not yeah. approved and I'll remind you what we talked about yeah. on, on a previous podcast think of all the drugs that went through the entire regimen of FDA approval that had to be recalled three, five years later because of conditions, heart attacks and deaths and so forth, that they didn't recognize initially, that it took a number of years for these tragedies to occur, resulting in the withdrawal of drugs. And it's not one, it's not two, there have been many of these cases. So, we have zero idea. And I've been inclined to get a vaccine. I'll be honest with you, just to get all this nonsense away from me. But every time I think about, okay, I'll go in and get a vaccine, which, what stops me is the sheer fact that I can't assess the risk. Yeah. Am I going to have to do this again and again and again? And what are the outcomes three years, five years from now? I don't know. And while I'm 65 years of age and, you know, in the sunset years, as they might say. Yeah, but, but in top shape, anybody who's running Ironman triathlons. And, and God willing. Which there's a lot of 25 year olds that are worth it. We're as good a shape and as, as you are. And as we say, God willing, I should live to be 120 and yeah. beyond. The real, I do believe that I have a future. 
and I'm not willing to put it at risk when I just don't know. How do I assess the risk-benefit analysis? Now, I grant you this. As a society, um, if the immediate societal cost of this pandemic was so great, and they haven't been, I mean, they're great, but they're not, but if they were so devastating, just the COVID, not the shutdown, not all, but just COVID itself, if they were so devastating that the benefits of getting a vaccine right now and reducing that risk outweighed the unknown risk of bad outcomes from the vaccines, I might make that decision. But if I did, I would be transparent and open to the public about that assessment. And at the very least, I would leave it to the public. I don't believe government has the, uh, the right to force us as the citizens that are supposed to be served by the government can tell us to put our lives at risk based upon an assessment that is at best a judgment call. I just, I, I don't think the constitution allows it. I don't think natural law allows it. Yeah, and we're going to, after, in, in, a, in a minute here, we're going to be talking about the, uh, these vaccine mandates. But one other point I want to make is as somebody who was hospitalized, I was one of the few that fell through the ice, as it were, um, with this, because I ended up getting the uh, COVID pneumonia. Um, it's the, the thing that bothers me, and I'm, you know, even having gone through all that, I am I am more, <laughs> I'm, I'm more in, uh, you know, sort of uh, strengthened in my, in my view that these, res these re unconstitutional restrictions are just that unconstitutional and we need to fight for freedom above all else. But the thing that bothers me is that you hear very, very little about natural immunities. You know, it's almost like they don't even want to talk about it. I see these, I see these signs all the time. You know, if you're, if you're fully, if you're fully vaccinated, uh, you don't have to wear a mask. So when they, when I walk in without my mask and they say, are you fully vaccinated? I said, I have full immunity. <laughs> and they let me in to the place. Why aren't they talking? Because to me, if you're, if my natural immunities, and I'm not talking about, you know, somebody might've gotten a false COVID test, which quite frankly, there's probably a ton of them out there. And then they're getting it again. And they're counted as somebody who had it and got it. I mean, mine was not false. It was clear. I was in the hospital. I had COVID pneumonia. Um, there's no question about it. And if my immunities aren't working, the immunities that, that, you know, God built up into my, how my immune system works and that I was able to fight this off even when I had uh, the pneumonia component of it, um, then guess what? Your vaccine doesn't work. I'm sorry. I mean, it just doesn't work because of the way I understand how that works is basically is telling your body to create these natural immunities. It's unnaturally telling your body, artificially telling your body to create these, these immunities, which my body did correctly, the right way, the way God had intended it to be. And if my immunities aren't working, I don't know how your vaccine immunities uh, are going to work. But we don't hear anything about, about those who've, uh, who have natural immunity. It's interesting. I saw a commercial in these commercials for the vaccine are just unbelievable. There's one here in Michigan. It's like, oh, well, you know, there are some side effects to the vaccine, like winning a million dollars or winning tickets to the Super Bowl or you, you get your vaccine, you send in the, the receipt or whatever, and they put you in a lottery to win one of these prizes. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane how they're doing this. But the commercial says, you know, if you had COVID, there is a slight chance you could get it again. But if you get the vaccine, there's a 95% chance that you won't. I'm like, huh. The latest thing I saw, it's like less than 1% of people who've had COVID get it again 
but you're telling me this with this vaccine, I have a 5% chance. So I have like more than five times the chance of getting it if I get this vaccine. It's just, the, the propaganda on this is just, uh, it's, it's mind boggling. But uh, let me, let's, uh, let's move on here because I do have a couple more things we want to hit. And I do want to get the, to the mandatory vaccines. I want to switch gears a little bit to the January 6th um, protest. You know, we heard from the left, from people like Pelosi and even the attorney general, that the, this January 6th protest at the Capitol, which they falsely describe as an insurrection, was the greatest threat to American democracy since 9-11 or even Pearl Harbor. I mean, this, was, this is the hyperbole that they're using. Well, the government recently got its first, as I would say, high-profile conviction of one of these insurrectionists who entered the House chambers, and I believe from the videos that I saw, made it all the way to the Speaker's chair, right? This isn't somebody that just stayed out in the rotunda that was talking with the police officers. You know, one of the really, really bad insurrectionists, you know, according to the left, right? This guy was worse than an Al-Qaeda terrorist, again, according to the left. We heard how it's a felony to disrupt Congress, and this crime carries a 20-year penalty. Wow, this is, you know, bad stuff that all these guys were, uh, were involved in. So what did this really dangerous and really bad insurrectionist who was trying to overthrow our government and democracy itself, what, according, you know, according to the left, that's what he was doing, what did he receive as a sentence in his guilty plea? Was it, you know, death by hanging for treason? I mean, that seems like, the, you know, the category that we're talking about here. Now, he got eight months. Eight months. The government asked for 18 months. And the judge who sentenced this man was an Obama-appointed judge. So we're not talking about, you know, that this was some... Uh, sympathetic judge. Yeah, right. So he definitely had a, a judge that was sympathetic to the government's position. He sentenced him to eight months for this most heinous crime against our government in the history of America. You know, what a joke. You know, I'd be laughing. I would be laughing, but it's a serious, it's a serious matter. You know, David said it, and we've said it time and time again, the left is trying to destroy America, and they're using every way possible, right? We now, they, you know, we've been subjected to this House commission to investigate January 6th, right? This bipartisan commission, which Pelosi wouldn't allow, uh, you know, two of the more staunch re, uh, conservative Republicans who would have done a very good job cross-examining these, uh, these witnesses that they're putting up. Plus, he wouldn't allow them on this, on this board. These guys aren't playing politics. They're playing war. Right. And the Republicans are continuing. We continue to twiddle our thumb, thumbs and, you know, and, and cry out. And but yet these guys, you know, these guys came to the fight with a knife and we're not even we're not even prepared for it. This is what Pelosi said about the about her commission. Quote, we need a comprehensive investigation as to who organized this attack, who paid for it, how they nearly succeeded in overthrowing a presidential election. Pause here for a minute. They nearly succeeded in overthrowing a presidential election. It's, I mean, where does she buy her dope that she's smoking? I mean, it's, it's crazy. And she well, continues let on. You. Let, me, let me pause you, though. Yeah. Now, let's stop right there for a second. What happened? So you had a bunch of rabble-rousers and others who followed them go into the, the congressional chambers, into the building, up to the desk, into the offices, you know, roaming around. Some of them had, you know, various kinds of... of weaponry as, as it were they had bear spray they had you know sticks clubs whatever it may be um, now let's suppose the the worst case scenario occurs that they're in there and they've occupied and the police have run off right and and the pence is has is frightened 
and he's hiding under a desk and he says, I refuse to, to certify this election. That would be the worst case scenario, right? Because that's who signs off on it. And let's just say he refused to do it. So we don't have a president. What happens? Literally, instantaneously, someone would go to the Supreme Court and get a ruling that Pence is just clerical and it, there's, there's no decision to be made and they would find a way around it. Pence didn't do that. And so, and he was clear that he wasn't going, he was going to certify the election. And, and to your point, all we kept hearing all along is that Pence doesn't have the authority to do anything but certify right. it because it's just a ministerial tax. Ministerial it's tax, it's right. not That's anything ridiculous. substantive. It's more right. ceremonious. It's a, it's a ceremony that they're involved in. It's not anything substantive. Right. So the point, I mean, and that's the argument that they've been, they've been making time and time and kind of right. the left, so, but now they're right. saying you're going to disrupt this ceremony and all of a sudden it's going to overthrow the United States government. Right. In other words, Pence had no choice yeah. and they probably could have been, you know, required, you know, or, or inferred this, the certification. I mean, it's silly. And yeah. let's suppose from reality that he was going to certify it and he could have done it anywhere. And even if he had to do it, in chambers with a quorum or whatever it may have been, they were going to, what, they were never going to clear out the chambers? These people were going to occupy like the George Floyd occupied parts of the city? Come on, people. They yeah. were going to get cleared. And then they would have done it, you know, later that day, at worst case, the next day. I mean, it's just an absurdity. And, and keep, let's keep in mind, if you, as we looked at the last podcast, if you look at the actual indictments, the number of true rabble rousers is literally at most dozens. The vast majority of people who were there were just going with the flow and trespassing. Yeah, I don't even think the numbers are a dozen. Go back and let's re-listen to that again. And and if my recollection was of the ones that said they did it because they felt that Trump was, you know, asking them to do it, I think that was was like two. Yeah, right, wasn't it? I think it was two. My, yeah, less than the fingers on my hand. Less yeah, than which is holding up five for those who are just listening. Yeah, yeah. So it is the, the idea, and you know, we have conservative political pundits out there writing about the, you know, the, the, the saying, okay, it wasn't an insurrection, but you know, it was a, it was a tragic event in our, in our history, and and these police officers were heroes. And to all of that, I say, nonsense. Yeah. I, you know, these police officers were heroes. I mean, there's no question a few rabble-rousers got physical with some of the police officers, and they got hurt. But how, how much more so do police officers get hurt on the streets of Chicago or in the George Floyd protest? And you don't hear a word about hero cops. Yeah. All of a sudden, they're heroes. Now, I agree that anyone in law enforcement is, is um, I don't know that a hero, but is deserving of praise and respect. Dangerous job. You get very little money for it. I get that. But what I'm more concerned about with the January 6th issue is why weren't government officials better prepared if they had all this intelligence? Uh, why didn't they have better security? Why didn't they, at the start, they blame Trump for not calling out the National Guard. So why didn't they have better security on the front end? We know what Trump did or didn't do. We know what happened after. We know what Trump said. 
calling for legal protest. Go down to the Congress, legally protest, express your voices. We know what he said and did. And by the way, Pelosi says she needs a congressional committee to investigate who organizes, who paid for. Isn't that what the FBI dragnet is doing and the Department of Justice indictments are supposed to be doing? Isn't yeah. that what they're supposed to be doing? Yeah. And that they're finding is nothing. Yeah. They're finding is, a it, few handfuls of it's people. A sham. This thing's an absolute disgusting sham. Right. And and if who are they gonna do a uh, a commission to find out who organized all these Black Lives Matter Antifa attacks that burned cities down? that you, you wanna see violence, watch some of the videos of those protests where they're kicking people's heads in, where they're busting store windows, where people are truly armed. If this was an insurrection, it was a very poorly organized insurrection because people weren't armed. Yeah, there was a couple of guys that, that apparently had some pepper spray and or bear spray, however they wanna describe it. Um, I saw some testimony from the Capitol Police officers and certainly any, anybody, who's, you know, anybody who, who goes into law enforcement, they deserve respect, there's no doubt about it. Nobody should, you know, nobody should assault a police officer. Now, there are, are there bad apples in the police department? Absolutely. We saw, you know, we see that all the time. But is it the majority of them? No. But I saw these Capitol Police officers testifying. Boy, they were, they were just carrying the water for the Democratic Party. It was a dog and pony show. Um, and, and I heard one say something like, I, I thought one of them was going to take my baton from me and beat me with. I thought somebody, well, did they take <laughs> your baton? No. And they, they, were, they were using racial slurs and calling me bad names. It's like, are you serious? We, all, we know how many people got killed during this so-called insurrection. It was one. It was an innocent woman, Ashley Babbitt, right? Who maybe a protester, maybe even somebody who damaged government property, but she wasn't armed. She was doing nothing, nothing that would have authorized deadly force against her, nothing. She wasn't fighting a police officer. She wasn't doing, she wasn't doing anything that George Floyd did in, uh, in Minnesota, nothing close to it. And she was shot and killed. And we heard from, you know, the news reports that the officer who shot her was, you know, uh, was cleared of all wrongdoing. Not at a trial. I mean, who did this? Some bureaucrat up in Washington, D.C. This thing is a dog and pony show. It's, it's nonsense. If, you re if you're serious about, you know, going after the insurrectionists, go after who's funding Antifa? Who's behind these guys? I got a former client, good friend now, who's, a, uh, who's in the Tulsa Police Department high up in the echelon. There and uh, back in Tulsa when they were having the Black Lives Matter protests, the police sat down with the with the local civil rights organizers and they got along great. They they you know they they were peaceful. They were doing the right. Then all of a sudden, all these rabble rousers from not from Tulsa, Oklahoma, not even from Oklahoma. These Antifa guys, these woke kids with black masks, they had staged weapons. They had they had uh, he said Dixie cups that they filled up with cement that they had staged in an area. They had weapons all over the place. And those are the guys the police were battling, not the peaceful civil rights protesters who absolutely have a right, First Amendment, to protest out in, in public. But who was behind organizing all this? My, my friend said, thankfully, you know, even though they were well organized and had good tactics, they were a bunch of wusses. So as soon as you, as soon as you presented them with any force and pushing back, they ran like a bunch of schoolgirls. Uh, so at least they had that, uh, you know, that going for them. But that, that's, that was organized. We know federal buildings were, were attacked. Cities, as we know, were taking over by them. That's, you want to talk about insurrectionist behavior? That was it. Where's your commission on that, Nancy Pelosi? You know, where's, where's all the police officers, the countless numbers of police officers who are harmed, terribly harmed by these Black Lives Matter protests? 
and and all we hear from from all your leftist friends is you want to defund the police right this is this this these guys the left is at war with us we got to stop you know playing tiddlywinks on the conservative side and hopefully we regain the house and regain the the uh, the you know congress during these these next upcoming uh, midterms and when the republics are in power you better act like you're in power and start taking back our country cuz you let the left run away with it it's driving me crazy. We don't have enough. We don't have enough fighters out there. A lot to be said there, and I'm going to respond to all of that. <clears throat> oh, we we, we what, only have what, <laughs> so long. Yeah, a few and, minutes. I'll make it short. Number one, what sickens me, and keep in mind, we are in a non-connect civil war. That's not rhetoric. That is my assessment. It's my assessment, and everyone else can judge it. But that's my assessment of where we are, and I don't, I'll come back to Rob's final comment with in that context. But being in a non-kinetic civil war means that I'm not surprised that the, the, the killing, if possibly even the murder of Miss Babbitt by some law enforcement officer, and he might be a bad apple, I don't know, that it's being covered up tells me volumes the left and the media, no one has filed a Freedom of Information Act that I know of that demands the security videos that more than likely exist out there. Well, I, let me just let me just just drop a footnote on that real fast because I've I've seen reports where they're not even turning them over to the defense lawyers yet. Right. So they they they'll be they'll be under the the FOIA exception that there's ongoing legal proceedings right. and so forth. So you even though they've not the officer, even yeah, if you're though not going to get them in, if you're not going to get them in the court, you're not going to get them through FOIA. That's for right. sure. Even though they cleared the officer, right? So it should be yeah. a closed case. It should now be tra no transparency, and you hear nothing from the progressive. wall that consists of the media and the politicians and the deep state, nothing. That in and of itself should tell you something deeply concerning is going on. And what's going on, again, in my assessment, is they're at war with us. They're at war with this nation's founding principles. They are at war. They want to rewrite and strike that. They want to destroy the Constitution, because whatever they want to turn it into would be nothing of what it is. They want to undo and redo founding principles. They want to turn us into a socialist tyranny, if not a Marxist one. But they have no qualms about engaging in the most abusive, illegal conduct. And in fact, they know that they can legalize their illegal conduct fairly shortly, which is what they're going to be doing with HR1, the new election law reform, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and, you know, we opened up with the Fauci thing. That's just another example. The guy, he blatantly lies to Congress and he knows he'll get away with it. He's, he's, he's trained to give them their sound, the sound bite that he needed to give so that his, the echo, media echo chamber could just grab that sound bite and play with it and totally ignore the fact that this guy lied to Congress and committed a federal offense. Right. So, and we also know, by the way, that in January 6th, there was no military or law enforcement involvement on the protest side. The number of people actually from the military and law enforcement were trivial. So an insurrection, at worst you had a day delay in the certification, two days. 
three days. <laughs> That's going to bring down the democracy. I mean, compare that now. Is there a congressional committee investigating what literally brought the world to its knees in the COVID-19? Zero. And what is, where is the assessment taking place? Is it taking place in some transparent, open agency? No, Biden turned it over to the intelligence agencies and it's being done behind closed doors, presumably because it's been labeled top secret. Why? Uh, because they're using sources and methods to figure out what China was really up to. We don't know. There's zero transparency. There was supposed to be a, a mid-term report. We talked about this in the last podcast by mid-July. And whether Biden got that assessment, that, that interim assessment from the intelligence, we don't know because Biden didn't tell us. The gravest threat to freedom and national existence that has occurred in hundreds of years the COVID-19 pandemic, and there is zero transparency about any kind of investigation, how it started, who funded it. The very question that Nancy Pelosi wants to ask about a silly rabble-rousing demonstration that might have delayed a certification by a day? I mean, are you serious? And I would ask my dearest friends, Annie McCarthy among them, when they write about the, you know, it, he agrees it wasn't an insurrection, but it was a terrible thing and it was this, that, and the other, and the policemen are heroes and so forth, but it's being criticized by Nancy Pelosi. Andy, my friend, this was terrible. Donald Trump, whether he incited or not in your mind, because that's where it would be, or in the people who were rabble rousing, but clearly if the bad actors, they came with weapons or they came with their mace. They came long before Donald Trump said anything. Now, if you're going to say- hey, let, let's, I want to make clear because you, you keep using the term weapon. There was no firearms, right. zero firearms. And we know we're not talking about, you know, if, if they're a true insurrection, you think they'd be coming with AR-15s because this is an AR-15 no, right. route. None. I'm, and I'm I don't the only bear. weapon, the only thing that I heard of in terms of quote unquote weapons was the, was a, uh, the bear spray. I haven't even heard anybody even come in there with a club other than maybe somebody picking up something as makeshift. Right. So well, yeah. giving them all that, right. Yeah. Using <laughs> a very broad term. It was a tiny handful because you can tell by the number of people who were actually charged with assault was a very small number. Given all that, it, it just to think that this wasn't going to be a political non-kinetic civil war engagement because that's what it is. And this brings me now to my final comments on Rob and the midterm elections. As we say in Brooklyn, forget about it. You, the, the midterm elections are meaningless. I don't care if the Republicans get a majority again, which I doubt because I'm sure they're going to do something. With the new Delta variant, if you think the, the aggregating and the collection and the harvesting of votes took place in 2020, Watch what's going to happen. The, the Delta variant, we have to allow all these other emergency measures. And even if the Republicans do get a majority, why did Rob end by saying, and Republicans, when you get it, act like leaders, act like you're taking back the control. They won't, and they never do. 
we're always disappointed by the Republican leadership or the Republican majority because they come to a, not a knife fight, they come to a bazooka fight with a tissue paper. I mean, that's how we deal with this because Republicans don't admit, and this is something that my dear friend Andy McCarthy doesn't admit, and many others, and good conservatives, well-meaning conservatives, and Andy McCarthy is a well-meaning conservative, dear friend of mine, and an intelligent guy, but he's not prepared to admit that this country's constitutional republic has already been torn asunder in the midst of a non-kinetic civil war. If you're going to play by the rules, then you're going to lose because they're not playing by the rules, guaranteed. Now, then the argument becomes, well, what are you saying? The means you know, are justified by the ends? I'm, I'm saying that if you want to preserve, if you want to regain or reconstruct a constitutional republic, we don't have that now because we have a deep state, we have rigged elections, and that's really what Trump and his people should have argued. Not that the counting of the, of the votes, et cetera, et cetera, were being rigged because there wasn't enough sufficient evidence and standing and all the other issues we've talked about. What they should have pointed out is that the Obama administration and then carried through through the deep state rigged this election from day one before Trump was even elected when he was nominated as the Republican candidate. That when you put together the media, the dossier, by the way, folks, we'll talk about this at the next, at the next podcast. You know that we are suing Twitter Inc., its CEO, Jack Dorsey, and President Biden for censoring a client of ours Twitter account but not just hers, we brought a class action. Well, we've now formally served all the parties. Guess who's representing Twitter and Jack Dorsey? The mm. law, yeah. Mm, let, me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. The mega law firm of Perkins Coy. Oh, now, and why, why is that name familiar, David? See, <laughs> one, if you go to their website, Perkins Coy, you'll see that the, the clients that they put out front as their bona fides are all Democratic Party clients of various types. But they were the law firm that laundered the payment from Hillary Clinton's campaign for the, the Trump dossier that was fraudulent. Russia, yeah, the dossier from Russian dossier. Russian, Russian dossier that claimed that he, you know, he was subject to bribes and extortion by the Russian government for all of his perverse behavior and, and the collusion with the Russian government, which was false from A to Z. It the money went through Perkins Coy. So Twitter and Jack Dorsey utilizing the democratic legal powerhouse and they're a legal powerhouse to be sure we have our hands full these are the best of the best let's watch how that lawsuit unfolds yeah that's that's a, a very interesting point now you're always the uh i wouldn't say the 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 pessimist uh, i won't say that but i would say i'm more optimistic of things because one of the things that to but, me yeah, i'm less than I, sanguine than you are yeah uh trump and uh desantis in florida they've they've change the calculus a bit. You, we actually see uh, 
these, you know, some Republican leaders who are actually acting like leaders. And you saw when Trump took office, how it scared the heck out of them and everything they, they, you know, did to him. I, I still think, you know, there's, there's still a, a lot to save here. And certainly, you know, I've got 12 kids and 12 grandkids, 13 on the way. I want to save this for my kids. So, and, and I think there's, I think there's opportunities to do that, but people have to get involved far more involved than we are now. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's, you, we need to, every, if everybody does, you know, a small step, it'll, it can make a difference. Because even things you look at, even, for example, like the, uh, the ratings, the, the TV show ratings, right? The only TV news station that is even remotely conservative is Fox News. And they're not even 100, but they're, they're probably more, more on the neutral conservative than they are, you know, hard right as compared to like an MSNBC and everything else. And I just saw like CNN. I saw somewhere like their, their, their um, primetime uh, viewership was like 700,000, something ridiculous like that. And, and Fox News was like, in the multi-millions. I mean, it's just, just the numbers. They don't compare. I just think they have a very large echo chamber. They have the academic institutions. We got to start pushing back on that. You know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk about these uh, Texas Yahoo Democrats who flew, who, who uh, disrupted a democratic process. Yeah, who flew the coop, disrupted a democratic process in Texas to come to Washington, D.C. to protest voting laws, which they said were going to disrupt the democratic process. I mean, this thing makes no sense. And, you know, here they are flying in a private jet, right, with, you know, you see pictures of cases of beer and uh, and all of them were vaccinated. All were vaccinated. Huh? No No mask. Yeah, no mask. All of them were vaccinated. And apparently six of them came down with COVID. I I thought if you're vaccinated, you didn't have COVID. But yeah, so I want to talk a little bit more about the, those Yahoos. And, and I wanted to mention also about, uh, you know, the Amazon, uh, you know, mega billionaire who uh, takes his own jet, in, I mean, his own, excuse me, his own rocket into outer space for like a seven or eight or nine minute flight. And, you know, he comes spent how many billions of dollars was spent on that, which could have gone to the poor, right? They could have fed the poor with all these billions of dollars that Bezos could take a little rocket trip, right? We hear that all the time. So here's, you know, there's, what was, you know, Rush used to say there's, 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 uh, um, that, you know, there's no, there's no good, you know, rich millionaire, except for a Hollywood rich millionaire, right? This is the liberals mantra, right? This billionaire. Is good, Let's start using all you, the word. Billionaire. Yeah, yeah. All you, you know, there's no good, you know, billionaires out there, according to Bernie Sanders, unless you're a leftist billionaire and give tons of money to the leftists. But so, and the thing that struck me is he made the comment when he's landed, you know, he was like, you know, I got to see the beautiful earth, this, this delicate, tender, you know, th- this vulnerable earth that we have to protect. What do you think the, the carbon footprint was for that rocket going up in the sky? It's probably more than my family, all children, grandchildren combined for a lifetime will make here on, on and here he is flying in a rocket. It, these, they're, they're such hypocrites. That's a, you, you can't take them honestly. They're, these are dangerous people. That's the end of the day, dangerous people. So I want to talk... I want to talk more about the uh, these Texas Yahoos. We'll talk about our lawsuit more. And I never, we didn't get to the uh, the the mandatory COVID vac- vaccinations that are going to be coming up. And I really want to spend some time on that. Unfortunately, we don't have time, so we are going to have to uh, wrap that up. But we obviously have boy, there's so much to talk about, and uh, we will certainly look forward to, to discussing these and many other subjects. Who knows what's going to pop up between now and next week? I want to thank all of you for joining us. As you know, our video casts are posted on our Rumble and our YouTube channels. And our podcasts are posted on Spotify and Stitcher. If you like the content, please follow us and please spread the word. 
also, and I haven't made this pitch before, but I'm going to do so now. You know, we're a, we're a nonprofit public interest law firm. Uh, we're recognized by the IRS as a 501c3. And um, all the legal work and the cases that we've talked about on these podcasts, and we haven't even touched the surface of the cases we're doing, we do them all pro bono, which means for the good. That is, we don't charge for our legal services. Rather, we, the work that we do, even to fund, you know, the, these podcasts and so forth, uh, all the legal, lit- all the litigation we do, um, we rely upon generous donations from people like you. So if you'd like to support our work, um, you can do so safely on our website at AmericanFreedomLawCenter.org. It's AmericanFreedomLawCenter.org. Um, all donations to us are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. So if you, uh, if you, uh, Feel the desire to support our work. You like the work we do. We really appreciate it. I want to let you know we we put every uh, every dollar to work. Um, we really have very low overhead, and we we try to make a lot of impact. We understand that the the money that we get through donations is hard earned money, and and uh, we uh, we work hard to try to earn your trust to get your support. So, I want to thank you uh, all again for watching or listening, as it may be, and may God bless you, and may He continue to bless America. Amen. Thank you.